We've been in this series for a year on having a spiritual worldview, and we've been talking now for a month about our spiritual authority, and I want to continue what I said last week about compassion. I want to just define that in a way that I didn't have an opportunity to last week. After service last week, I had people give me feedback and ask questions and say things all over the spectrum. One man came and says, compassion is not my strength. I don't feel that for other people. How do I improve that? And then other people are like, yeah, Mitch, that's right. We need to take care of everybody. We need to pay everybody's bills and we need to be doing everything for everybody. So I just want to define what Jesus's compassion is and what it isn't uh, this morning and this compassion that we're supposed to live in for other people. And we're going to start with a super famous story that probably most everybody knows from Luke chapter 10. This is the Good Samaritan. Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. So I know this is a really famous story, but let me give you the explanation here. Jesus tells the story of a man who traveled on a road that was in his day was known to be super dangerous. You never traveled this road alone because it was full of robbers and bandits between Jerusalem and Jericho. He goes by himself anyway. He gets beat up, stripped naked, robbed, and left in the ditch to die. And these two religious leaders walk by and act like they don't see the man. But a Samaritan comes by. The Samaritans were a group of outcasts in Jesus' day. They were rejected by the Jews because they were half Jewish and half Gentile. 400 years before Jesus, the Jews had been in exile in Babylon and they had returned to their homeland and some of the Jewish men had taken pagan wives and the children of that group were called the Samaritans. They lived in a region called Samaria and the Jews would have nothing to do with them. They were unclean Gentile pagans even though they were half Jewish, they were total rejects. And the Samaritan, who is the reject, has compassion on him and takes him and binds up his wounds. Oil and wine would have been the medicine and disinfectant of the day. Takes him to an inn, gets him a room. Two denarii in our dollars today would equal between two and $400 that he, he just drops to pay this guy's bill. As total stranger, drops 300 bucks to pay his hotel bill and tells the owner, when I come back, I'll pay you something else if I owe you that. And Jesus said for us to go and do likewise. I want to talk to you about compassion again today because Jesus said that the Samaritan did this out of compassion. I want to tell you what compassion is and what it isn't in 2019 in Legrand. What does that look like? Well, so some examples, just some stories I want to tell you. Last summer in July or August... On Highway 7, there was a woman arrested because she was running down the highway stark naked. Several people called the police, and they came and got her, and she was arrested because it was very obvious that meth was the reason why she was 
running down the highway stark naked. She was from Idaho. She did not know she was in Oregon. When they told her she didn't know how she'd gotten here, she had no idea what had happened the last three days. And uh, she was in really, really bad shape. You could judge someone in her position, well, she should have known better. She shouldn't have done that. Well, that'd be true. But she did. So what are you going to do now? I mean, we can laugh at her or we can scoff and say that she was stupid and shouldn't have got her in that situation. We could blame her for taking the meth or doing whatever she was doing. And obviously a woman in that situation has made some terrible decisions for a long time. But you can also imagine how she got from Idaho to Baker City and where her clothes went and the kind of men that gave her rides and what happened to her on the way there. And it must break our hearts. If we're going to be real, true disciples of Jesus, we cannot live in judgment or laughing at people's pain, blaming them for their own stupidity, even when it is their own stupidity. In my mind, this is the clearest example of a 2018 Good Samaritan story in Northeast Oregon as I have ever heard. And no one stopped to help her. Everybody drove on by. Bunch of people called the cops. I know why you wouldn't want to stop and mess with somebody who's jacked up on meth. I know why you wouldn't want to deal with that. But Jesus said, go and do likewise. So let's talk about the man in black. And I don't mean Johnny Cash. How many of you know who I mean? The man in black. You see him all over town. And he wears the same thing, whether it's July and 105 or January and minus two. And you see him rocking around Walmart, muttering to himself, and he's obviously got some parasites inside and there's problems there. I don't want to identify any names, but a bunch of you know who I, who I mean. You can be afraid of that kind of person. You can reject that kind of person. You can look the other way and pretend like you didn't see him. Or you can let your heart break in compassion. There's a man that has some needs. Go and do likewise. This week in Madeira, California, which is southeast of Sacramento somewhere, a jogger at 5.30 in the morning found a still wet baby with the umbilical cord attached lying in the middle of the road at 29 degrees. And there is a kind of righteous anger that you could have that would ask, what kind of a woman would do that? But the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. How desperate does she have to be? Or strung out, or who knows what. Yeah, what she did is really terrible. But there's a lot more to the story. We have to be people of compassion, not judgment, or anger, or rejection. Our anger 
even when it's right, still doesn't accomplish God's will. Let's bring it on back home a little bit. What about the arrest record on the Union County Jail website or Elkhorn Media or wherever it is that you go to see who was arrested today? I know there's a bunch of you out there. I read sometimes, not I hate to do it, and I don't very often, but sometimes I end up in the sewer that is the comment section where 500 people feel the need to throw hatred and rejection and judgment on somebody that probably only 10 of them know. Uh, somebody who's a disciple of Christ has absolutely no business hurling blame and accusation on a stranger. Most of the people who end up in the care of the county just made some really stupid decisions. Some of them made some truly wicked decisions and they need to be away from the rest of us for a very long time. But it doesn't do any good for you to add your two cents. And it certainly doesn't do any good, even if you're not there commenting, it doesn't do any good to go and read it for entertainment. We can have anything to do with that. It's just judgment and hatred and rejection. And I realize that some of these people have done some hideous things. Some of them are just really, really stupid. Some of them have done some really evil things, but we don't need to add our condemnation to it. There's some heartbreaking stories up there if you will allow yourself to have compassion. I've gone in there for years. and One time I met a man from Mexico and could hardly speak English and he told me his story and I don't know if I was getting a story or if it was the actual facts. I don't know. But it moved me so deeply. His own terrible choices and people using him and how he ended up here and why. And I, I left the jail and I couldn't even go home. I was so broken hearted. I just had to go sob for a while and I drove down the freeway and I, I shouldn't have been driving. I was crying so hard. I, not, and for him, but not just for him, I was I just thought, I felt like I had a microscopic awareness of what the weight of the sin of the world might be. Like, Jesus, how do you handle this? How do you do this when we are so terrible to each other? We've got to be, allow ourselves to be brokenhearted for people, even when it's their own fault. So let's bring it on a little closer to home. What about that foul-mouthed, annoying coworker? Would you dare to have compassion for that person? What about that shy classmate that never says anything and is never included in anything that the class or the school or the group is doing? They're always on the outside. Like, well, they're just weird, and I don't know that I want them involved with me. Are you willing to have compassion? What about that flamboyant homosexual that loves to provoke you? Loves to pick a fight with the Christians. Are you going to get mad and fight back? Or are you going to have compassion? What about that government leader you love to disagree with? What about the loudmouth feminist marchers that spew their hate? You going to hate them right back? What about that addict that just cannot seem to get free? And they should know better. And they've done well. And then they relapse. And you're like, what did you do that for? I don't know. 
Are you going to judge him? Are you going to have some compassion? That angry man that you're scared of. If you find out a little of the background, he might just be a really wounded little boy. What about that over-emotional, super-sensitive, reactionary woman that takes everything wrong? Are you going to have compassion on her? Or are you going to judge her? The one who should get it but doesn't. The one who is weaker than they should be. Come on, just suck it up. Be tough. Let's have some compassion. The one who should know better but did it anyway. And now they need your help. This man should have known. Don't travel that road by yourself. It's really stupid. But he did it anyway. Are you going to leave him in the ditch? Or are you going to help him? You know, my assessment of former students and sometimes my assessment of people in the church, I think I know what your problem is and how you need to solve it, but then I, I hear what's going on at home or the background story or whatever, and, and all of a sudden I realize I don't know what's going on and why, and I can have great compassion all of a sudden for the thing that was annoying me to death yesterday. Or in the other direction, there's lots of people you can be jealous of and think, oh, their life is perfect and they've got it all together and their marriage and their money and their career and their influence and all this stuff. And then you hear the private battles that they have to fight and you need to go repent of jealousy. Like, no, I don't think I would want to trade places with that person. And you can be impressed with what they're accomplishing through terrible pain. Everybody's had a broken heart. Everybody is ignorant of themselves, including you. So let's have some compassion. So I want to define what compassion is and what it isn't. What does Jesus expect us to do and think like? He said, tells this story, and then he says, go and do likewise. What does that not mean and what does it mean in 2019 in Northeast Oregon? Because again, like I said, people are all over the spectrum on this. Some of you have a hard time caring about other people or you're just prone towards judgment and hey, hey, they planted those seeds and they can harvest that. And that's what Jesus said. There's truth in that. He said, you will harvest what you sow. There's truth to that. Then other people are, you feel like you've got to take care of everybody and help everybody and meet everybody's needs and you're killing yourself, trying to show compassion and be helpful and what does Jesus actually expect us to do? What does he expect us not to do? First of all, I want to talk to you about what compassion is not. And I want to define it very clearly. When the Bible uses the word compassion about Jesus, when he would love somebody and do a miracle for them, or when Jesus said that like the Good Samaritan, we're supposed to have compassion on our neighbor, it does not mean sympathy or pity or favoritism. Human sympathy and pity are hell's counterfeits of what real compassion is. If you feel sorry for somebody but don't do anything about their problem, James says, do not pat somebody on the back and say, God bless you, I hope your day goes better. You take care of them in a way that costs you money. That's what Jesus said in this story, and it's what James says. Having pity on somebody or sympathy just keeps them in their problem. 
Compassion will move the Holy Spirit and their problem will actually be solved. And when Jesus shows compassion and he tells us to show compassion, it does not mean favoritism. You don't feel sorry for somebody because they're poor or they're sick. In fact, the the Bible makes it very clear. God never shows favoritism. The Old Testament says, do not feel sorry for somebody because they're poor. They don't get any special treatment. Everybody gets treated the same. So we're not talking about favoritism. We're not talking about sympathy. We're not talking about pity. We're talking about the compassion of God that moves to fix the problem. What does compassion not mean? It does not mean that we excuse sin. Hello? We do not excuse sin. We don't accept sinful lifestyles. That's the world's message. Oh, you just have to accept everybody the way they want to be. No, God says this is the way to behave, and if you don't, somebody needs to tell them, and that is real compassion. Compassion doesn't mean you excuse sin or accept somebody's sinful life. No, compassion is not unconfrontational. If somebody's on the way to hell, it is the most loving thing you can do to get in their face. You all know the magician's pen and teller? The big guy. He's an atheist. He does not believe in God, heaven or hell, spiritual anything. But in an interview one time, I think maybe even a TED Talk, he was asked, what do you think about Christians evangelizing? And I don't know the context of this, but his answer was, I don't have a problem with it. They can evangelize me all they want. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that they're going to hell and then not tell them? He said, if they truly believe there's a hell, the most loving thing they can do is to tell me. Even though he rejects it all, he understands it's love to get in people's face when they're in sin. So the compassion of Jesus that we're supposed to live in does not mean we don't confront people. It doesn't mean we're excusing sin. It doesn't mean we accept sinful lifestyles. We're not soft on crime. Lawlessness is the reason Jesus is going to return. Letting people out of the consequences of their crimes is not godly. It's not compassionate. It just lets them do it again. Jesus' compassion is not soft on crime. Human fleshly sympathy is hell's counterfeit, and it just allows people to continue. It even pays them to continue on in their sin and keeps them on the road to hell. The compassion of Jesus is not going to allow anarchy in church or in the family or in society. The compassion of Jesus that we're supposed to live in doesn't mean that we can't have enemies. Only a coward doesn't have enemies. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. That's an admission you're going to have enemies. But treat them right. And in Romans 12, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. He doesn't say, don't have enemies. He says, treat your enemies right. So the compassion of Jesus is not some weak, spineless, wimpy, I never stand up for anything, I never uh, speak the truth, and I try to get along with everybody so that I don't offend anyone. That's not the compassion of Jesus. That's cowardice. Jesus has nothing to do with that. That's not Christianity. That's fear. That's what the Bible calls the fear of man that is a trap. The compassion of Jesus also does not waste its time trying to help people that don't want help. 
You can't fix somebody who doesn't admit they're broken. If they're going to refuse to repent and obey God, you're wasting your time because you can't make them change. So the compassion of Jesus that we're commanded to live in when Jesus says, go and do likewise, it does not mean that you waste your time trying to help somebody who is resisting your help. If they don't want to be free, if they don't want to admit there's a problem, if they won't repent and obey God, then you did what you can do and it might absolutely break your heart, but you have to let them go. God is so committed to their freedom that he isn't going to take over, so you can't either. And if you try, it's witchcraft. I'm going to force you to do what I want you to do. It's impossible. So the compassion of Jesus doesn't mean that you spin your wheels in a relationship where somebody is going to be just completely unwilling to fix themselves. You can't fix them. It doesn't mean that we give our money to everybody that asks. The compassion of Jesus doesn't mean that we have to care about everything and everybody. And that's a broad statement, so let me define it. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware of what's going on in Haiti this week, but there's a disaster going on there. There's no water or power or food or uh, transportation, and people are dying, and it's just riots, and it's a political situation, but uh, there's lots of missionaries in great peril in Haiti. It caught my attention because I know some missionaries in Haiti. Well, all of the news stories of the world's suffering catch my attention. I am greatly distressed about what's going on in South Africa, and I know about the civil war in Ukraine, and I know about what's happening to Christians in China and North Korea, and and it breaks my heart. But we are bombarded daily with all of the suffering of the whole world, and that's not natural. Except for the last 50 years... It was impossible to know what was going on in the rest of the world. You knew about your neighborhood. Which is why Jesus said, love your neighbor. Because it isn't emotionally or psychologically healthy to swim in the problems of the whole world every day. We don't, we don't have the emotional or mental capacity to do that. So what does it do when we watch the news or read the news or you're on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and you're finding out all the stuff of all of the anger and suffering and the rage and the problems and the distresses of the whole world all at once every day, you shut down. I can't care about all this. I can't do anything about it and I don't care. The Bible calls that having a hard heart. It's emotionally and psychologically unhealthy to read the news, folks. It really is. It's a terrible problem that we swim in the distresses of the whole world all day, every day. That it was constantly bombarded with news of suffering. So, when I hear about what's going on in China or North Korea, the Bible says, pray, remember those who are in chains as if you were with them. So, we have a biblical command to pray for fellow Christians who are being persecuted or arrested or executed. And there are lots of places where that's happening. But I can't do anything about it from LeGrand. So when I hear stories where I literally, truly don't know the person and I can't do anything about it, all I, all I can say is, Jesus, you're going to have to take care of that. I can't fix that. You're the Savior of the world, not me. But the Haiti thing caught my attention because I know people in Haiti. So I'm... 
aware and distressed about lots of the problems in the world in Washington, D.C. and Oregon and everything else. But I can't lay awake at night losing sleep. Except that I did lay awake in the middle of the night for two hours last night praying for the people in Haiti and the people in my church. Because I know a ministry in, in Haiti. They're trapped inside the walls of their compound. They're going to have to hire a helicopter for about $1,000 a person to get between 30 and 40 people out because there's no way they can leave their gates or they'll be killed. They have food and diesel left for two days, and that was yesterday. Uh, they're going to die if they don't get out. And I know them, so I do waste sleep. Praying for that one, I allow myself to feel compassion. I allow myself to be brokenhearted for a situation I'm not involved in because I know those people. They are my neighbor. The whole point of this story that Jesus told is that some young hotshot Pharisee comes and says, Oh, Jesus, uh, what's the greatest law? And Jesus said, Love God and love your neighbor. Oh, yeah, okay. He says, Wanting to justify himself, he says, Okay, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, The guy in front of you who needs help. I can't be the savior of the world. I don't have the capacity to care about everyone and everything. I am to care about my neighbor, the people that I know and the people who are in front of me in real everyday life. I don't have to carry the burdens of the rest of the world. That's Jesus' job. Take care of the people you know. I don't think anybody in here knows very many people in Washington, D.C. Just going to leave that there for you. You do with it what you want. Some of you way more concerned with what's going on in Washington than what's going on in Union County. Your neighbor down the street needs help and you're busy tweeting and posting memes about how bad the president is. You've got a widow lady or a cancer patient two houses down and you're not taking care of them. Guess I better back off off that one. Last thing that compassion is not. It doesn't mean we excuse sin. We're not showing sympathy or favoritism. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to break our hearts so that he can come out and move in power and fix the situation. We're not excusing sin. We're not being spineless, unconfrontational. We're not wasting our time trying to help people that refuse that they have a problem. Also, the compassion of Jesus does not allow faithlessness or weak thinking. Jesus has very high standards. So the person that you're trying to minister to or serve or help who wants to just blame everybody else for their problems, you're not going to get anywhere. They may know they have a problem, but it's so-and-so's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's the police's fault. It's my employer's fault. You're not going to get anywhere because they want to blame. They want self-pity. They don't want to be full of faith. They They want to make excuses and they want to stay in their weakness. And you can't help a person like that. And Jesus didn't allow people to do that. When Jesus met the woman at the well, when he had the woman presented to him who'd been caught in adultery, and he tells the men around her, well, if you're the, without sin, you throw the first stone. He totally shuts down those men to the point that they have to leave his presence. But he doesn't leave the woman where she's at. He says, I do not judge you. Don't do it again. The man who's the demoniac who's living naked in the cemetery and nobody can chain him up and he's howling at the moon all night. Jesus sets him free. In none of these cases does he 
go into their past and psychoanalyze their parents and their inner child and say, oh, I understand, you poor thing, you got treated this way and this way, and that's why you ended up where you are. No, he just says, I set you free, now stop doing what you did. Nowhere in the Bible, Old or New Testament, is there anything about blaming your past or your parents or society or poverty or uh, nothing. God just says, I love you. I've saved you. Stop! Have faith. With Peter on the water or with Saul on the road to Damascus, Jesus doesn't bring up the past. He doesn't blame them for anything. He doesn't excuse anything. He doesn't have sympathy. He just says, have some faith, boys. Obey me in this moment right now, Peter, and you will walk on water. Paul, bow your knee right now. Surrender to me. I don't blame you for the past. I'm not angry. I'm not here to set you free, but we're not going to blame anybody, and you aren't either. We're just going to move forward from this moment. You are going to be a different person. If the person you're trying to help won't go there, you're spinning your wheels. The the commands of the Bible to honor your parents, to love your wife, to submit to your husband, to have faith, don't fear, don't worry about anything, be patient, forgive everybody. None of those commands have any excuses or exceptions. None of those. It's, It's just do the right thing right now and from here on out. That's what God expects. So the compassion of God, the compassion of Jesus that we're supposed to serve in doesn't allow people to think weak or faithless or shift the blame for their problems in a way that keeps them weak. We're not there to pat them on the back and say, oh, I'm so sorry about the way your mom treated you. You can say that, but don't stop there. Hello? Okay, so now that you know where your problem came from, we're not here to talk about your mom. We're here to set your life straight. What are you going to do now? So that you don't repeat what your mom did. We're not going to sit here and blame your problems on your ex or whatever else. Okay? Jesus has extremely high standards. In Revelation, he just says, overcome. Just overcome. So that's what compassion doesn't mean. What does it mean? What does the compassion of Jesus look like when he tells us, like the Good Samaritan, go and do likewise? What does that mean? It means that I am always ready to take care of whoever presents a need in front of me. Same thing, first service. I was getting a bunch of amens until right there. (laughs) I have to be always ready to take care of whoever presents a need in front of me. Whether that is, I need a ride or I need help fixing a flat tire on the side of the road, or I need help with cleaning my gutters out, or I need money, or I need a shoulder to cry on, or it's prayer for healing, whether it's visiting the jail or the hospital. Whoever has a need, I'm ready to fill it. I'm ready to help out. And not in some sort of religious customer service. I actually care about you, and I want to give you Jesus. That's the compassion of Jesus. We approach people with an expectation of loving them, of bringing salvation and healing rather than judgment and condemnation and making demands. We approach people to forgive them and to relieve them from their shame. We approach people to bring light in the darkness, to assume that they are lost and that you have the light. We approach people with joy to help, to set them free, 
James 5, 19 and 20, my brothers and sisters, if one of you wanders away from the truth and someone helps that person come back, remember this, anyone who brings a sinner back from the wrong way will save that sinner's soul from death and will cause many sins to be forgiven. If you participate in God's family business, that way he's going to be really happy. You're going to be a favorite. Foundational to all of our helping other people and serving and ministering Jesus' compassion. Foundational to all, whether we're visiting somebody in jail or helping somebody who's got themselves into financial trouble or they have a health problem even that maybe they caused or there's a family struggle and you know they're the problem but now I'm the one responsible to settle it. Been there, done that? Okay, any, any situation. Foundational is we come... I'm the one with the log in my eye. Theirs is the speck. Jesus, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Do not judge others or you will not be judged. You will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, here, let me help you get that, rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Even when I'm dealing with people in terrible situations that I don't think I would ever be in, I have to come knowing that I needed help too. I have no right to judge this person any more than anybody else does because in front of Jesus, I got a log in my own eye too. Remember your past and your failures, your times of desperate need. When you were crying out to God, please save me. Please fix this. If you can't remember any of those times, you're probably a Pharisee. If you can remember them, don't ever forget them. There's people every day in Union County, Oregon, that are absolutely desperate for God. And we're walking around with Him inside. And you don't have enough time or enough care to let him out. Remember your past. Remember your failures. Your times of desperate need. Yep, I've got a log in my eye. What I'm helping you with is just a speck. In my own calculation. I know their problem may be bigger than yours. But in your own humility. Mine is a log. Yours is a splitter. Colossians 3. 12 to 13. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Let compassion surround you like clothing. Let it be the thing you live in. And if you're going to touch somebody else, it's going to have to be through compassion. Because I live in it. I'm wearing it. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Remember, you must forgive as the Lord forgave you. And everybody said... Amen. When you're going to help somebody, you're going to approach them in the compassion of Jesus. You've got to know that the people you want to help are proud and afraid. Even if they know they need help, they don't want to admit it. They're proud and they're afraid, and you have to come in humble and submissive. You're not coming in preachy and bossy and telling them how to fix their problem. I'm here to love you and show the compassion of Jesus. And in that, we will figure this out together. Approach people knowing that they're proud and fearful. So I am going to be humble and submissive. 
And we're dealing with a wounded dog here. Going to come in very soft. Even the hardest, angriest person. The most spewing hatred and defense person. You can break through real quick if you'll come in soft. They will let their guard down real quick. Don't assume that people know what you know or that they have what you have or even that they want what you want. Don't come in to help people or serve or minister or pray for somebody with an agenda other than this person needs to meet Jesus. That's the only agenda we can have. I'm here to give you Jesus and then you and he can do whatever you want. I'm not here to boss you. I'm not here to make your decisions for you. I'm not here to take over your life. I'm not here to instruct you or preach at you. I'm here to show the compassion of Jesus and I want you to know the truth and I'm going to say it, but I'm not here to control you. Be amazed at how safe that will make people feel. If, you, if they don't feel like you're trying to control them or you're there out of religious duty or the, some sort of agenda. Always listen. Seek to understand. Being ready to adjust my own thoughts just to offer connection with the person that I'm trying to help here. Whether that's a stranger with a cardboard sign at Walmart, it's a hitchhiker that I picked up, or it's uh, somebody at the hospital or the jail. Or Always listen. Don't come in thinking you know what their problem is and how it needs to be fixed. You know the answer, though. The answer is a person. Not something they need to straighten out. They need to get right with Jesus. You do know the answer. You don't have to be wimpy about that. I picked up a hitchhiker once at Wild Horse, and I think he rode with me all the way to Arlington, maybe even to Biggs. And he was a pot-smoking Buddhist. It was right after Oregon legalized marijuana several years ago. He was not from Oregon. The guy stunk. Oh, he was, oh, smelled so bad in my car. He offered me weed <laughs> and told me all about Buddha. He didn't know a thing about Buddha, but he thought he was a Buddhist. I just let him talk. I love to let people dig their hole before I tell them who I am. Yeah, just hand him the shovel. Here. <laughs> Dig away. <laughs> it's so much fun. And um, he, when he found out that Oregon had just legalized pot, oh boy, he was really excited about that. Well, do you know where I can get some? <laughs> no, actually I don't. <laughs> I honestly didn't. Uh, anyway, eventually, somewhere out there past Boardman, he let me talk. He didn't let me talk, really. I mean, he was full of it. And we talked about Jesus, and I tried very hard to not be preachy, to not dictate to him, you're wrong, and this is the truth, and you need to listen. And I just say the truth as the truth. And he can reject it, and he responds back, and I'd respond back to that, and, and we just talk. And, and I gave him as much Jesus as, as he would listen to. But we can't have an agenda that is pushy or preachy, as people's walls go up. Jesus repeatedly asked, when the people came to him, Jesus asked, what do you want? Over and over, Jesus says, what do you want? And then he gave them what they wanted and nothing else. 
Not in the sense of, well, I'm only going to do the bare minimum. That's not what I'm talking about. It's just that Jesus is not, even if I know you need more, I'm not going to force it on you. I'll give you what you want and need today. And tomorrow they'll meet the next Christian. And the next day they'll meet the next Christian. And eventually they'll be happy and free and saved and in the kingdom of God. Always listen. Seek to understand. Don't back down from speaking the truth. But do it in compassion. And not preaching judgment. Not even Jesus didn't do that. So he asked them what they wanted. And he gave them what they wanted. And they were happy and ran off. And they all blabbed it when he told them not to tell anybody. They all went off and, and did what he told them not to do, and he was just happy that they were healed, or whatever the situation was. Don't jump to conclusions, either negative or sympathetic. Don't jump to conclusions about people. Don't feel sorry for them, and don't blame them. You don't know. You don't know either one. You just be there, and you let your heart be broken for their situation and their pain. The, the verses say Jesus was moved in compassion. We have to be brave enough to feel pain for people that we don't have to feel. But I, I will. I will come into your life and feel your pain and love you with the love of the Lord. Amen. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit flows. It's when Jesus' heart was moved with compassion. Have to be able be, allow ourselves to, to feel pain for people in a way that identifies with them. Jesus took on our sin and felt our pain, and we do the same. And I know that those of you who work in the medical care or law enforcement or ministry, it's really hard not to get cynical because people are so stupid. And we deal with people at their best and most heroic, and we also deal with people at their worst and it's just the worst every day. And so cynicism is our modern English word, but the Bible word is hard-hearted. Cynicism is this uncaring that will creep in when you deal with truly wicked people or just truly stupid people over and over and over again. Eventually you just kind of do what you do out of requirement or customer service or religious duty or whatever and we can't let our hearts grow hard jesus never did he always loved the next person and the next person and the next person don't let your heart get hard the compassion of jesus that we're supposed to live in what it does mean is that cynicism is our enemy we have to care about people who even who got themselves into their own problem we have to joyfully and willingly help out. Compassion of Jesus is going to move you past your fear so that you can act in a situation that would otherwise scare you. Talking to the man in black or praying for somebody for healing that's a total stranger and that would really freak you out even to just say, God bless you to your checker at the store. You can let the compassion of God flow through you and it opens your mouth and you do something that would scare you. There's a healthy fear. I know that you, none of you ladies, if you're driving by yourself, you shouldn't pick up a hitchhiker. I get that. I get that there's situations you need to be careful about and you don't want to get yourself in some situation alone with a, with a dangerous person. I totally get that. But there is a fear that is sinful. 
that keeps us from connecting with people and caring about them. And the compassion of Jesus is what's going to break our hearts. It's going to break that fear. And I love that I care about this person so much, I have to take action even though it scares me. I have to speak up even though it scares me. The compassion of Jesus is going to make you fearless. When you live in the compassion of Jesus, you're going to have the expectation, this is going to cost me time and it's going to cost me money, but I'm going to help. I'm going to serve this person. I can't leave them in the ditch. It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me money, but I have to do it. I can't not care. And when you live in that kind of compassion, there's going to be miracles. There's going to be miracles. I said there's going to be miracles. Fourteen times Jesus allowed his heart to break for the person in front of him and he loved them and he cared about their need and the Holy Spirit power of God flowed out of him and food multiplied and the dead was raised and lepers were cleansed and the demons were cast out because of love. I told you last week Jesus never called the worship team up to get people excited and dancing and clapping and get them really wound up into this Holy Ghost frenzy and let's have revival. Okay, now let's see who's going to get free. No, it's just, oh, I love you and I break my heart breaks for you and that is enough. God's love in my heart for you is enough for the miracle to happen. I don't need to drum you into a bunch of excitement. I let myself be moved so God can flow out. Let your heart be broken. Your broken heart, your pain, your tears, your love for somebody else, whether it's your kids or grandkids or a coworker, or a stranger on the street, your love for those people is where God's going to flow and move in their situation. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for teaching us who you are and how you want us to behave and think and feel. Lord, we do truly want to be your disciples. We want to be like you. Forgive us for being afraid, forgiving us for being selfish with our time and our money, for looking the other way and pretending we didn't see, for allowing our hearts to get hard and cynical, for being people of judgment and blame and anger and politics and all that other stuff that isn't you. Lord, we want to be people of compassion, of the power of Holy Spirit love. Lord, we want your faith in us, that as we are moved by compassion, we have faith to know that you will provide the miracle that this person needs. Lord, make us vessels and carriers of your Holy Spirit, of your compassion, of your power. Break through our fear, our timidity, our selfishness, our pride with your compassion. I bless every person here, Lord. May you break our hearts for our neighbors that need you. Classmates, coworkers, family, everyone around us. May we truly be those that love our neighbor and go and do likewise. I bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen.